You're listening to the Versus Node podcast, presented by GamerNode.com. Welcome to episode 12 of the Versus Node podcast, presented by GamerNode.com. My name's Eddie Inzotto, website director and host, and I'm here with a big crew today, starting off with Jason Finelli. How are you, Jason? Hey, how's it going? I'm doing good. Awesome, awesome. Always here, always ready to give your thoughts on everything, I'm sure. Anything <laughs> and everything. We've also got Tyler Cameron. How you doing? What's up? I'm doing very well. Awesome. I almost said swell, but I didn't want to. Swell. Doing just swell. <laughs> Golly. Golly. <geez. laughs> We've also got Mike Murphy here. How you doing, Mike? Uh, doing better. I'm uh, I'm recovering from that week of uh, gameplay just wasted. But I'm here. I'm ready to do the podcast. Awesome. Awesome. And. Finally, last but not least, we have Matt Arazo. Did I pronounce that right? Yes. Awesome. How are you? I'm doing swell. (laughs) (laughs) Someone had to say it. Excellent, excellent. That's cute. Yeah, and I'm I'm all jacked up on pasta and Mass Effect 2, which is great for an Italian video game journalist. (laughs) So I'm ready to go. <laughs> the stereotype. I like that on Tuesday. Straight yeah. up, the two things that matter most: pasta and a new <laughs> video game. <laughs> Perfect. And that's actually what we're here to talk about today. We got Mass Effect Two coming out this week, and I'm sure everyone's pretty excited. Are you guys all excited about it? Oh my god! Oh, oh, more yes. excited in the first game. Oh. It's like it's not even. I, I like. I, I would chop off my own arm to play it right now, which would be bad. <laughs> Be able to play it because I don't. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, to say that I'm excited for it is a major, major. Run. Awesome. So, what we wanted to talk about today, go, leading into the release of Mass Effect 2, was the Mass Effect franchise in general, but more mostly focusing on the first game and what we thought of it, what it's done for gaming. What was done right, what was done wrong, what we want to see improved or changed or kept the same. Everything about the Mass Effect universe as we know it. Uh, First thing I wanted to ask you guys is about your first experience with Mass Effect, the first game. So I guess I'll start with uh, Tyler. When you first played Mass Effect, what did you think? What was it like? How did you respond? That question actually ties pretty well into Mass Effect 2, is that for Mass Effect 2, I have, like, went on a media blackout, and I have watched none of the videos. I've watched nothing. I've read nothing about it because I've just tried to stay in the dark about it. It's like a surprise because one of my problems with the first one is that I watched, like, every single, like, video that came out for it, and by the time, like, I actually played it, I... 
I actually felt really disappointed in a lot of areas of the game because I felt like I was promised things that weren't in the game or that were just untrue. One of them being that you could land on different plants and there's people to talk to in cities and stuff like that, which is only true for like four or five of the planets. Well, most of them are just, even if you can land on, there's just like nothing there. Initially, I was very, very impressed with the game, but as soon as you get off of the, the Citadel in the beginning and, you, and the game opens up and you can kind of go to different areas, my disappointment really started to set in and I kind of realized how small the world seemed and like that wasn't really necessarily like a fault of the game. It was just the coverage I had been reading and like watching up to that point led me to believe that the game was something else. Mm -hmm. So, like, in that respect, I was really disappointed with it. But I got over that eventually, and, like, I saw the game for what it was, which was an amazing, like, Western RPG. But, like, that disappointment stuck with me through pretty much all of my playthroughs, which have been three at this point, so. Oh, wow. That's pretty intense. Yes. How about you, Jason? I know that... This is one of your favorite games, so I want to see yes. the contrast between yours and Tyler's opinion. I have been reading everything there is to read about the second game. That could come back to haunt me. <laughs> but I've done it. The first game I played through three times as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I played through for the main storyline. The second time I played through because I was hell-bent on getting all the achievements in it. So I did the... 20 to 30 hour playthrough where I did everything so I can get the two achievements for Krogan ally and soldier ally. And then I realized I'm never going to be able to beat this at least two more times. Um, <laughs> I beat it. I beat it once more to get refreshed with the story. I beat it last week Oh man! to get refreshed. So that way I'm ready for the second one. Yeah. Yeah. Mass effect two is unique actually in that it's, the only, one of the only games that I can think of, to say it's the only one that I can think of right now, that allows you to import your character as is from the first game into the second game. And I feel like a lot of people that I know are going back to the first game and replaying right before, just like Jason said, to set it up the way that they want, or maybe to refresh about the story. I just went to Wikipedia and reread the plot synopsis to refamiliarize myself with it. But yeah, a lot of people. <laughs> Heresy. No, no, no. I had I was on a schedule here. <laughs> but um, I know Mike has been playing pretty feverishly, uh, yeah. judging by Twitter and Raptor and all those things. So is this your is this a replay or is this the first time? What's up, Mike? Um, well, this is this is, might be a long story. I um I played the game through the first time and did almost pretty much everything. Got the completionist, did all the storyline missions, got all the collection missions, and uh, beat it at level forty nine. But that was like two three years ago. So I decided about a month or so ago maybe that I had to play through again and get to level sixty by the time the second one came out. Uh, not just to refresh the story for me, but because some of your decisions, and even if you hit level 60, according to what I've read, will transfer over in some way to Mass Effect 2. So um, I decided, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to get this uh, second playthrough done before the game comes out. About uh, two weeks ago, I was really getting into it, really getting uh, through, and I hadn't decided when I was going to carry this over whether or not to um, the level of Ashley Williams. And uh, it was about midweek where I finally decided, you know, I 
probably would want to go with Ashley Williams. And then I realized that I had accidentally, in one of the conversations in the Normandy, uh, not completely shrugged off my shepherd's attraction to Liara, to Ashley, which, in effect, completely ruined the romance. (laughs) So I looked back, and I didn't realize this until I hit the Citadel and was detained on the Citadel and had Liara talk to me instead of Williams. Uh-huh. And I looked back on my last save before – my last separate save file before that moment, and it was 15 hours prior in the game. <laughs> so you went back. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so starting yesterday or Friday, I uh, went back, and I'm now trying to plow through, and I have to do all that over again plus go through Illos and the uh, Siege of the Citadel in order to beat the game by midnight on Monday. Jeez. And this is all for Ashley Williams, that annoying yeah. rat. That, 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 <laughs> bitch, that tough-ass soldier bitch. She better appreciate this in the second I'd, game. I'd rather hit that than the blue chick. Oh, I love the blue chick. I would actually I'm actually glad Jake said that. Because all my friends who I talk to, they always ask me why I choose Williams over uh, Liara. Just because I started off the game with Caden and Ashley, and everything I went through in the beginning of the game with Caden and Ashley before I recruited Liara, got me more attached to them and wanted to play with them as my main uh, party members over everybody else. Hmm. I guess that's understandable. She's more of the main sidekick. I agree with you there, but for Ashley, not for Caden. As soon as I can get rid of Caden, (laughs) get the fuck out. But only because... Only because I thought Rex was a better character. Uh, yeah. I thought Garrus was a better character. He was my number two. Yeah, and, and I killed yeah. Rex. <laughs> killed Rex. How did you kill Rex? I could. I don't know. Rex. He was he was trying to be tough with me. And I'm a renegade. <laughs> Straight you up. up while you open my grill. <laughs> <laughs> That should have been a dialogue option. <laughs> I know. Oh man, Matt, well, what was your what was your experience with the first game? I thought I kind of feel like the odd man out because I was actually disappointed with the first Mass Effect. I was sort of, I'm sort of like it with Tyler. Uh, I read a lot. I I I watched videos. I read coverage, um, and I got so into it because I love Bioware. I love all their games. And then when I finally got the game, it was just like. I couldn't do anything they were talking about. Like I couldn't interrupt conversations. Like you can't interrupt people. Uh, you can't just you know punch somebody in the face like they were talking about. So I was just very disappointed with it. But I mean, as I got deeper into it again, like Tyler, I was like, okay, this is good. You know, it's good for what it is, and I'm gonna enjoy it for what the game is. But then I started to feel like it was an RPG with a shooter tacked on, mm-hmm. and I just I, I I couldn't really get into it. Like I, I was expecting something like Kotor, but in an original sci-fi universe something Bioware created and I love the universe I love Mass Effect's universe which is why I'm really excited for Mass Effect 2 and it, from what I've seen so far I haven't seen too much but it feels like it's more of a shooter this time with yeah. RPG elements and I'm really excited for that because it's like well if you're going to yeah. go the whole shooter route then at least pronounce that that feature and then add like stats and stuff so I'm really excited but I wasn't really I wasn't digging the first one until the very end when like the big I, I don't know if we're going to be able to spoil it are we spoiling it at all the game's Two so years. old. I'm just saying, yeah. you know, sometimes we get like an email saying like, oh, you spoiled it for me, I'm going to kill you. Like, Cry me a river. Okay, yeah. <laughs> keep going. But, 
<laughs> to the very end when you had the giant space battle with the um I forgot his name, the opposing um Sovereign. Sovereign, yeah. When you when you had to fight him, I thought that was a, an amazing sequence. Like every choice you made in that entire sequence meant something and I was mm-hmm. I was like, I want more of this. Yeah. Yeah. So have has anybody um I'm gonna ask this, did anybody uh talk Saren out of trying to kill you? I didn't. <laughs> no, no, I didn't do that. It's at great. The at the end, if you bring yeah. your uh persuasion all the way up, which is what I did I talked Saren out of fighting me, and he hits himself in the head. <laughs> I did it too. I, oh, really? I thought that's like because that, every time I beat the game, that is what happened. I thought that was the, the only thing that could happen. Were you guys all good guys? I yes. was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. I, wait, no, I was a, a bad guy the second time. But I think at the end, I still like tried to get him not to fight me though. Oh, uh, I just used shotgun diplomacy. <laughs> I can I can never do that. Not in any Bioware game. I have a hard time doing anything evil. I don't know why. Yeah, I always try to talk my way out of a situation. I feel the same way. Like I play uh, when I was playing Dragon Age, I tried to be evil, but every evil thing you do is so evil. Just I couldn't take it, so I had to restart as a good guy. Yeah, my conscience weighs heavy in the same way. I I think in uh, Mass Effect, the um, that girl is like crazy and like suicidal, and you have to like talk. You just want to give up and just be like, all right, just tell the sniper to shoot her. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and he, like I said, I, I, like, I stayed right before that, so I wanted to see what happened. And, like, I just I talked to her, and I said, you know, fuck it. And then I went and talked to the guy, and I was like, all right, she's unresponsive. Just have the sniper kill her. And he killed her, and I got, like, plus 30 renegade, and I felt absolutely terrible for having <laughs> done that. And I had to reload my save and then, like, spend, like, 10 minutes talking to this crazy chick so she wouldn't kill herself. But I felt better. I think one issue with the whole renegade paragon system is that to be a renegade, you're basically contradicting the entire plot of the game because you're the point is to save humanity and you know save all the alien races, save the universe. Yet you're gonna be this crazy evil guy on your day to day activities. <laughs> so it's kind of weird. And sometimes even playing as a renegade, I have to use some paragon responses just to not feel like it doesn't make sense to me. But yeah. usually in Bioware games, I tend to be a good guy. It's just Mass Effect, I was a renegade. So Mass Effect 2, I'm a renegade again. But doesn't being a renegade sort of suit Mass Effect 2 since you're working for like a shadowy organization? Am I right about that? Um, yeah, you are a specter. You're kind yeah. of behind the scenes. So well, would being a renegade like perfect? I mean, you're not following the rules anyway, so... Yeah, in that sense, not following the rules, you know, you're you're not with the Alliance anymore, you're with mm-hmm. uh, Cerberus Corporation working for this guy, the Elusive Man, but you're still not evil, like, your your goals are still noble, your final goals. You, you want to save things rather than kill everyone. Oh, okay. And actually, I just completely lied, because the first time I played Knights of the Old Republic, I was a bad guy, too. I perfectly embodied Revan. <laughs> okay, so since since Mass Effect, I've been a good guy. But I don't know. It, it must be the sci-fi setting. just makes me evil. <laughs> it was funny, though. When I first played Mass Effect, I, um, I was also a little disappointed in it because I had played and loved KOTOR, and the combination of the RPG and the broken shooter mechanics in Mass Effect 1 disappointed me. 
and I felt like the conversation options and the flow of things in in Mass Effect 1 weren't as fleshed out as I had hoped for. I also played... (laughs) It was interesting. I played while traveling California with my Xbox, my laptop, and a video capture device. I was sitting in the airport in Oakland on Christmas Eve in 2007 with my uh, laptop and Xbox because I had to stay over that night because no none of the trains were running in the morning early enough to catch my flight to San Diego. And I was just sitting there playing Mass Effect on my laptop, on my <laughs> Xbox, on my Xbox, on my laptop screen. So I don't know if that contributed a little bit to my disappointment or if it was just the shortcomings of the game itself, or the pre-release hype, or whatever, like you guys said. But, in general, I didn't think that Mass Effect was the second coming, you know? But, I wanted it to be. Like, I really, really wanted it to be, but I think, yeah, it probably wasn't the setting that you were in. It was just the game had a ton of flaws mm-hmm. that really... Yeah kind of hurt the experience in the end. I mean, you can once you're done with it and played it, you can look at it as a whole and be like, it was a really amazing game, and the characterizations of the people are really good, and the backstory, and just, like, the universe is so rich and so interesting, but, like, the gameplay mechanics are just kind of like, Ugh. like, the shooting <laughs> is not very much fun. If it was just a shooter, that game would be so forgotten by now. Mm-hmm. And, like, the driving sections boring the inventory is balls i mean there's just so many technical issues like oh my god i just can't get over like how like garris's face is just like a white pasty mass and all of a sudden it kind of just draws textures in while i talk to him that, yeah the texture popping is intense terrible uh, thank you i blocked the inventory out now i can remember it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that was bad well you'll be happy to know I that inventory is basically wiped out of mass effect 2 that is good to know. I mean, even like looking at all those flaws, though, which are like serious, almost game-breaking flaws, I can look back at Mass Effect as being one of my favorite games of this generation. It and was... like mainly because I of the storytelling, right? I mean, I mean, yeah. yeah, because of like the conversations you have with people and like the storytelling and like the atmosphere and like the story of the characters and like there's just so much there that. It's just right for a trilogy, you know, and you can look at it and be like, wow, this is something really amazing. Like the soundtrack alone. I mean, Jason, oh, yeah. I know you know what I'm talking about. Just the soundtrack of that game is um, really makes it a lot better than it probably is just because of the soundtrack. Yes, yeah. uh, it's easily. And anyone who reads me knows it's my favorite soundtrack of all time at the moment. Um, and not so until Tuesday for the music. Shut up. Is, it, is it good? Is it that good? I have it. I have the soundtrack ready. I can at least brag about that. I don't have the game, but I have the soundtrack, and it is amazing. It's is it? great. And for- something you can't tell just by listening to the songs is the way that they're used, when they're used, how they fade into the action perfectly. I was just going to say that. It's uh, That's what makes the first one so great. The first one is so great, not just because of the tracks by themselves. I mean, Vigil can put me to sleep, and Veermeyer Ride is awesome when you're driving. But... <laughs> The way they were implemented in the game itself, like when you're walking through Ilos in the first game and you hear the same song you heard in the, in the, in the title screen and you're like, whoa, something big is about to go down. 
and then something big goes down, <laughs> but it's, it's not what you think it is. It's not a battle. It's not an explosion. It's yeah. a conversation with a broken VI telling you basically everything you need to know and fill in all the holes. Yeah, of, that is a really good conversation. I, I love it. And the sound behind it, the song behind it, the voices are perfect. That literally might have been one of the best experiences in gaming I've ever had, just listening to this thing talk and being like, shit, I have a <laughs> whole lot more to do. <laughs> I think overall Mass Effect was it was a game that had plenty of gameplay flaws and was average gameplay-wise, but I think Bioware did what they do so well. All the audio was amazing, and the storytelling was great, and they really did give you a couple of decisions where, for the first time ever, me personally, I sat there dumbstruck, not knowing what I was going to do or, or choose for a good five minutes or so. Right, yeah. yeah. I, I remember the first time I got to like the wreck situation, and I was like, oh my god. Like, he pulls a fucking gun on me, and I'm like, holy shit, this guy means business. One of us is going to die, or something is... Like, I literally was, like, sweating balls, and I was like, oh, my God, like, how do I... Situation, because, like, as a character, he mattered a lot to me. And at the same time, like, I could see where he was coming from in that situation, because I followed his story arc, you know, about the genophage. And, like, that conversation in particular was... It was intense. One of the most, oh, my God, yeah, it was one of the most riveting of the entire game. And that whole part is done so well it kind of really just erases the hours of, like, Mako driving that I had to endure to get there, you know? Oh, well, I felt, Help me out here, shipper. Yeah. I felt the same. <laughs> uh, I felt the same way during that sequence. Like, when he pulled the gun, um, that was one of the times where I was like, oh, oh, crap, oh, crap, I need to defuse the situation. I don't want to lose you, but I don't want you to, you know, shoot. But then well, finally, when I killed him, too, I felt I felt bad. It was like, well, I, I let... I let my character down, I let, you know, him down. I, I couldn't stop him, and I felt, you know, it, it was a great experience playing the first game. When I did it, I, um, I, I've i learned through um, Knights of the Republic that all, in Bioware games, if you raise up your persuasion enough, you can talk your way out of almost anything. <laughs> That's why the second I started playing Mass Effect, that was one of the main stats I raised up to the maximum as much as I could every time I leveled up. So when I came to that situation, I was like, oh, God, I, I don't want to lose Rex. I hope this persuasion works. I hope it's high enough. And I talked him out of it, and everything was fine. My friend was watching me while I was playing that, and he had already gotten past this point in the game. And uh, I luckily convinced uh, – talked Rex out of it, and he goes, uh, you're lucky uh, your persuasion was high enough. And I was like, why? And he said, because if that didn't work, Ashley was about to walk up next to you and put a round in his head. Yeah, oh, actually, that's what happened to me is that the first time I got there, my persuasion skill wasn't high enough. So no matter what I did, Rex was going to die. Like, either I would have to shoot him or Ashley was going to kill him or something because it was literally impossible to come out of it because I could see the, the dialogue options, but they were grayed out because my persuasion wasn't high enough. And I literally could not talk him out of it. But then um, I looked at my save thing and I realized that I had leveled up 10 minutes earlier I had a save right before that. So I reloaded the save, and then instead of like choosing whatever skill I chose, I chose one more block of persuasion. And like that one block was enough to unlock those dialogue options with Rex. So I was able to save him. Wow. Like I barely made it through that. Nice. I think 
I think aside aside from Rex, the other big decision on Vermeer was what really sold the game to me was when you were left to choose between uh, Caden or Ashley, and it was <clears> the first time in an RPG like you couldn't save everybody. Somebody was going to die, and it was going to be your fault and your choice. And I think that was when it hit me. If I wasn't in love with Mass Effect then for the story, I was completely in love with it now. Characters you've developed like a relationship with like throughout the entire game. So like either one of those characters that dies is going to have a lot of weight to it because you've known them for so long in the game. Me and Rex were tight, yo. <laughs> <laughs> I think part of the impact of that part of the gameplay is like an evolution of what so many people latched onto about Final Fantasy VII when Eris died. It was one of the first times that a main character in your party died, but it wasn't quite to the level of Mass Effect because it was going to happen no matter what. And then in Mass Effect, they took that premise of this character that you worked so hard with and built a relationship with and killed them based on your decisions. So basically they died by your hand instead of by the prefab story. So yeah. I, I think that yeah. makes it so much heavier on the player and so much more of a memorable experience than before, and not a whole lot of games do that. I remember feeling so bad when I chose Williams over Caden, and like <laughs> after that scene, I remember I couldn't play. I like had to put the controller down and just sit there, just stunned in like grief. Mm. Yeah. I agree with that, because then right after that happens, you go back to the Citadel, and they put your ship on lockdown. So now I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute, I just sacrificed one of my guys for nothing? Mm. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just sacrificed, I mean, of course, I was trying to bang Ashley, so I didn't really care that much about Caden. But, um, <laughs> but I was like, I had to sacrifice one of my best guys, no matter how much he whined about his biotics, he was still awesome. <laughs> and, and then I go back, and Udina, who, if anyone, if anyone on this panel picked Udina over Anderson at the end, I will punch you. <laughs> um, I was going to say, I will find you and punch you in the face. <laughs> oh, my God. If anyone did that, I have to just slap you around for a little while. Because that would have been, been, of course, watch, when Mass Effect 2 starts, that'll be the worst decision you ever make. But um, he goes in, he's like, oh, you've done your part. Go sit, go, go sit in the corner and be done with it. And then you meet up with Anderson. And Anderson can either sneak into Citadel security and screw with the whatever, or just get into Odina's computer and hack it, which I like better because in that scene, Anderson just walks his ass right in. Odina's like, I didn't ask for Bam! Right in the face. Punched in the face. Yeah, right oh, in the so face. awesome. That was yeah. awesome. Are you fucking yeah. knocking all cold right away? <laughs> <laughs> and no, I didn't choose Udina as evil as I was. So that was one of those. That was one of the points where it just didn't make sense. I was like, no, no. What's unique about Mass Effect for me is that it was one of the first series that I had knowledge of before I played the first game, but not from like reading about on previews and all of that. If you remember, Mass Effect has novels out, two of them. Mm -hmm. um, the first one set before the first game and the second one set in between. Well, I had bought the novel, the first one, in July of that year. And the game came out in November. And I tore through it. Oh, wow. So I had 
all the back. You know how Anderson talks about his background with Saren? That's what the first yeah. book is. Oh, hey, cool. Mm-hmm. That's what the first book is. It explains that whole thing. So I'd already felt for Anderson in that sense. For a while, I thought I was going to play Anderson until I realized I was playing Shepard, who I think they mentioned in the first book, but they definitely mentioned in the second book. But having that really helped me get into the universe because now with the races that the book described, the Solarians, the Krogan, the Asari, I'm seeing them now. And I'm, this world that I read about, I am now seeing it, seeing that picture in my head on the screen at playing the first game. I'm seeing Anderson. I'm seeing all this this crazy world with all this crazy technology, and I just felt that much more immersed. Yeah. After the first novel really helped. Yeah, that would it. be incredible. I feel like Did if I read picture, an entire uh, novel before playing a, a video game series, I would automatically love the series that much more. Yeah, that's true. So it did not help me with Dragon Age. Uh, <laughs> he's like, oh, this worked so well for Mass Effect. Let me try it with Dragon Age. Because Dragon Age's novel was awesome, and yet I have not finished Dragon Age. Uh, yeah, I. Another thing that this game does really, really well is developing in developing characters that you just associate with. You don't actually yeah. play as. You think of Joker as a pilot, so he never gets out of his chair. Yeah. When you see him, and then they put on the layer that he's crippled. Yeah, he, he really can't get out of his chair. Right, and you don't see that coming. You just you just talk to him, and he just talks about this. What is it? Uh, Vorex, Vorex. I don't remember the name of the disease or the syndrome, but he. he the brittle bone syndrome, pretty much. And he just, he's so sarcastic about it. I could dance for you if you like the sound of snapping bones. <laughs> yeah. it's just, it adds so many layers to just a pilot. Whereas in a game like, well, in any other game for that matter, like the, the driver in Borderlands, I mean, eventually he sells you your weapons and stuff. But in the beginning, he just lets you out and says, see you. And you barely hear from him again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fact that the fact that a guy who was so important to your mission finally has the personality to go with it, yeah, that's right. one of the things that these I, guys really they did well. Yeah, I grew really attached to Joker, and I I felt like it was so satisfying in the end of Mass Effect to see him be the one who like dealt the death blow to Sovereign with the Normandy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, like pumping your fist, and you're like, "Fuck you!" Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. Kill that termite ship. <laughs> The tick ship, yeah. The ship, the tick ship. The squid the ship. Uh. ship. <laughs> it doesn't look like a gigantic tick. Deer tick. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I am the vanguard of your destruction and the transmitter of Lyme disease. <laughs> I hate uh, ticks. Um, you're really cheering about Sovereign up until that piece flies into the tower. And you're like, no. Yeah, no, 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 like, no, 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 shit. Tell me I played this whole game for my character to die. And then he yep. epically climbs over the wreckage and finally smiles. Yeah. And that music is playing. Was that the first yeah. time he smiled? So powerful. Yeah, yeah, it's well, the first time. It's the only time you see him smile in the whole game. And the way I rendered my character, um, apparently I must have been really tired the day I made my character because he looks like an oriental version of me. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so when he smiled, his eyes got really, really small. And I'm like, he looks like he's smiling with no eyes. <laughs> Just got horizontal I'm, lines. Now, question. In the second game, um, when you – and I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody because I know the first hour and a half of the game. When you are able to go in and change – Don't tell me. Um, when you were able to go in and change what you can change, can you change your facial? Yes. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> oh, you can make it whatever you want. It's it just was so distracting in the first game. <laughs> so, like, I want to ask you guys, like, what type of character did you make for Mass Effect? Because, like, for some reason, like, I really latched on to the the image of Shepard that is on the cover, and like, I couldn't picture him as any other character. Like, I hear his voice, and like, that was just like face i like associated with and like i tried making my own character and i was like nah and like i guess in my opinion like the other characters that you can make didn't really look as good as like the generic shepherd image i guess but like that was the character that i used i felt like that one looked the best i don't know if you guys like went with women or like just like made your own obviously jason did because he looks like a chinese guy or something but... chinese version of myself i tried to make it as close to myself as i could but apparently I have really small eyes or I think I have really small eyes because he came out looking a little Oriental. And at first I was really happy with it. I was like, yeah, this looks great. And then my friggin' brother comes up behind me and he goes, dude, you look Asian. <laughs> and from that moment on, I was like, oh my God. And I, by then I was 10 hours in and I wasn't going to start the game over again. So I just kind of <laughs> dealt with it. But and how less your mic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, I will say this. I did make my own character, and eventually I totally forgot about Bioware's Shepard. Yes, so did I. I, I, I can't I, even remember what Shepard is supposed to look like. I only see my own Shepard. Yeah, like I, I, I got to the point where the Bioware Shepard was weird, and my Shepard was the one. Right. Yeah. I actually did the same thing that uh, Tyler did. I uh, I went in and I tried to uh, change his appearance, and I'm and I was just like, you know what? I actually like the shepherd that they have in the trailers and that's on the cover. And I mean, it's supposed to be like a cinematic type thing. I know it's an RPG, but I want to. I really don't want to like play as myself in this universe. I want to be more like seeing things through the actual like John Shepard that Bioware imagined and making the decisions as him. So I decided to just stick with the basic Bioware John Shepard. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's exactly how I felt. When I tried to make uh, mine, I wanted to make him look like me, but since I shaved my head, I spent an hour like making him look like me, and it turned out to look like a Latin version of the one they have already. <laughs> so I was like, all right, screw it. So basically I had a, a Latin Shepherd of the one on the cover. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> See, I never tried to make it look like me because I knew that it, I would be disappointed. I was like, no, just, no, no, no. I don't even know what my hair was like. It changes so often. <laughs> but I just, you know, I gave him a buzz cut and just made like a badass looking guy. And that was, that was my shepherd. I guess it helps to be a renegade. You just want to look badass and don't care about anything else. I had this awesome scar on my lip. It was awesome. <laughs> One thing is that, like, when you were evil in uh, Night's Deal Republic, I loved how you turned more pale as the game went on and you got more badasser, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, like, I also had a scar on my face, and, like, as I turned more white, my eyes changed color. Like, the scar on my face actually started to turn purple. 
because it was like wow. being affected by the color of my skin because I was turning so goddamn evil. And uh, I also really appreciate the uh, facial tattoos in Dragon Age because that adds like a whole new level of badassery that it wasn't really, it really wasn't in, in like character creation things before, but like the facial tattoos, sweet. Like I'm not even like a bad character in that game. So like I have a tattooed face and like I think can you have a mohawk in that game? Yeah. I have some kind of crazy hairdo, but I don't remember what it was. I think yeah, it was in Dragon more... Age you can. Yeah. Yeah. So like I yeah, I'm definitely down with the uh the badass like character creation. But for some reason Mass Effect I just couldn't do it. Well, in Mass Effect, there was no change if you were really bad. Like, you didn't get pale, and well, right, your scars right, yeah. didn't increase, so it wouldn't have mattered. But in Mass Effect 2, you do have scars, and they get pretty freaky as you go on if you're a renegade. But you can remove them if you want to. The characters in Mass Effect 2 are, I think, deeper than in the first game, and you find out about them. Like, you get a little picture of what they're like when they first join you, but then there are loyalty missions that each one asks you to do, and you go to various places, and you perform this whole mission with them, and by the end, they they respond differently to you, they're more open, and you learn more about their character, and you reveal things that may have been hidden to begin with, which is a a great expansion of the characterization that was already very good in the first game. So I'm, I'm down with that. And it also has gameplay oh benefits um, because they yeah, are uh, powers from that. Does that. Dragon oh, Age it. does that. Yeah, they do that too. Like it, it looks like like Bioware took an influence from from Dragon Age. Like it has they have missions too that do the same thing. Like they shed backstory and give you gameplay buffs. So. Nice. That's my next game, Dragon Age. I have to finish. Massive, you're making Mass Effect 2 sound like like me more and more excited just for me. Like the deeper characters, like the more pronounced shooter elements. I'm, I mean, I'm 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 excited for that one. So, what were the things that you guys were most excited or interested to see change, or that you were hoping would be in Mass Effect 2? Um, Completely revamped way of exploring. No more makeup. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think they'll get rid of the Mako. Just a better Mako experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, think, I don't. I don't want to know yes or no from you, Eddie. I want to be completely surprised. But yeah, that's kind of what I think that they'll have the Mako, but just not necessarily the same way they did in Mass Effect One. I want a better dialogue system, like a deeper, more fluid one. Mm-hmm. That, like it, it runs together, or like like they said. I, I think I know you. You can interrupt people this time. And change the direction of a conversation, which is something I would like. I like I like conversations in, in games since I'm a big adventure adventure game fan. So mm-hmm. I want to be able to to have like intriguing conversations at all times. I'll let I'll let you know, uh, Matt, that uh, in one of the trailers I saw of one of the conversations of Mass Effect Two, you do actually get to punch somebody in the face. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Sold. Life is complete now. Punch <laughs> in the face in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> That's all I ever wanted. Yeah, I guess I I just want a I want a better um, dialogue system. I want it to be more fluid because like in certain sort of uh, in current Bioware games, like someone talks to you and then you pause, choose your option, and they talk back and they pause. I just want like a more fluid conversation. And in Mass Effect One, 
um, tried to do that where like it gave you the option while the person was still talking. So you can choose it before they end it and we just keep going. So I just want like an evolution of that. That's what I'm most interested in. Yeah, yeah, I was too. Like I wanted not so much big changes in the way that it looked or felt, but in the consequences for your responses. I felt like a lot of it was sort of pretending like there was a lot of choice, but funneling you down similar paths. And um, I wanted to see that change a little bit in Mass Effect 2. And, of course, the combat was not so fun in the first one compared to what I would expect from, like, a AAA title. I didn't mind the combat. I mean, it was it wasn't as good as it obviously no yeah it wasn't horrible but i mean it felt like it it felt like there could be better shooters like they could do better oh sure but i think i think they were trying to focus more on the rpg side of it in the first game that's what i would think and then then in the second game they would improve the combat and make it a full game i guess you would call it or not a full game because the first one was a full game but like a full experience i guess it would be something that could stand on its own maybe it's like i feel like the shooting and action and Mass Effect couldn't really stand on its own as, like, a third-person shooter. It's just, like, you were just doing the shooting parts to get to, like, the next conversation and just trying to get to the whatever your objective was. It wasn't really that much fun, but, like, I'm kind of hoping that Mass Effect 2 will change it and, like, the part is interesting and fun enough that, like, it might be able to stand on its own as just a shooter if you were to take everything else away. Mm-hmm. Do you guys feel like uh, the dialogue wheel in the first game was a positive step, though, from what you had seen prior to that, you know, as opposed to just the listed out responses? Did you think that it was definitely an improvement or just a reskinned version of the same thing? Anyone? I, I thought it was absolutely an improvement. I mean, I don't really like reading the entire response and then saying it and not hearing it. I really like the idea of just kind of getting the gist of what he was going to say and then, like, selecting that and then it was kind of like watching a movie in that respect because like for an interactive movie even because you would choose kind of like the direction you want to head in the conversation and you would watch like Shepard, you know, say that line and act it out kind of. And that was really interesting to me and that made like the dialogue much more interesting than, you know, just simply like selecting exactly what I want to say and then. It and felt then more. The expert. It felt more like you were in his head, like since it, it gave you like sort of a mood or what or what he was going to say, but not what really was going to come out. So it, I think it was, like I said, like Tyler said, improvement. Like, it, yeah. Yeah, it was like his it, it, like his mood, and it was – I like that. I, I just – you know, I thought that was um, way better than, like, something like Dragon Age or even the old Baldur's Gates where it was, like, exactly what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I liked how you could kind of make it flow sort of like a movie because if you pick, like, the same, like, kind of direction – on the on the wheel you would kind of pick like the same answer like if you pick like the upper right i think it was always good and the middle was kind of like middle of the road and like bottom right was kind of like angry and pissed off yeah. so like if you knew how you wanted to act you could just go in that direction and just hit a immediately and it would keep the conversation flowing and seem very natural and you would yeah. still get across like the same point you know mm-hmm. without having to deliberate too much yeah yeah right. yeah i didn't really like how a lot of times you would choose an answer and you kind of felt like you'd get the same answer no matter what dialogue option you chose though. Like, and there were definitely times where like I would 
choose something and then like I'll go to the next card and I'll die or something like that and have to go back and replay the conversation and I would choose a different option from Shepard. And like things like that kind of hurt it because it made it seem less deep than it actually was. So like you kind of have to wonder like a lot of the time, well, how many conversations did I have where I really thought I was choosing a unique answer, but I was really getting the same one no matter what I chose, you know? Right. Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about before. I want them to abandon the uh, top is good, bottom is bad. I want it just to be like three answers, sort of like how Dragon Age does it. Just um, provide responses, and you don't know if they're gonna be what, what the consequence will be. Just whatever you feel you need to pick, pick it, and whatever happens is a consequence of whatever you decide to choose. That'd be interesting. I I don't know, but I I feel like for someone like me who always plays like the good character, like I want to know like. If I go in this one direction on the the dialogue wheel, then I'm going to be like picking good options, you know. I don't mm-hmm. want to have to like think about, but like I see where like situations where that like that would be like also like really interesting to kind of just make a decision on the fly and whatever happens yeah. is like the consequence, you know. Right. Yeah, it yeah. would be more natural if you yeah, just definitely. responded however you thought was good for that situation and the game determined based on your response where that would lie on the paragon renegade scale without the player having actual knowledge so it would be almost a more honest representation of your character than attempting to create a character the way that you wanted which has pros and cons of course but yeah i could definitely see the interest in that also but also the frustration yeah (laughs) I kind of wish that, well, I don't really wish that it would happen, but it would be interesting and almost make, like, decisions more impactful is that, like, you know, I mentioned earlier that when I realized in the conversation with Rex the first time that, like, I couldn't save him and that he was going to die no matter what, and then I reloaded the save and I went back and I saved him. It would kind of be interesting if, like, it took, like, a Grand Theft Auto 4 approach and as soon as you made a decision, it auto-saves. So, like, that decision you made is, like, set in stone. You can't go back and, like, retry, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think that kind of approach would make some of the decisions a lot more meaningful and just knowing that like you really can't go back and choose somebody else and save them like that is what happened. Just like the finality of thinking that like someone really did die at your hands. But at the same time it'd be like kind of frustrating if like you wanted to see like what would happen if you chose the other person or if you didn't if you wanted to choose Ashley and for some reason you chose Caden and you wanted to go back and play and you wouldn't be able to, you know. That'd be kind of frustrating too. So I mean it's just kind of like interesting to think like you know, if you really, really couldn't change the decisions that you made, like they were actually final, you know, what kind of impact would that have in the game as a whole? Let's talk about the most important thing in the entire game, shall we? And that yeah. is that Krogans have four testicles and that uh, Garrus <laughs> is not afraid to tell you this. Have you, do you remember that? Oh, yeah, he's like, he's like, what? Four testicles? So, what was like, the conversation? That was really funny. He was talking about He's talking about that Dr. Salion. It was the guy. Yeah, Dr. Salion. It was like uh-huh. Dr. Hart and how he harvested organs and like. Right. He's like, he, 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 that's 10,000. That's 40 pet. And you're just like, what, wait, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> they, they, no wonder they produce so much. They have four balls. <laughs> they, 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 had, uh-huh. they had to create a genophage for four balls. And that goes back to the layers of character, or in this case, the race, um, which I should probably bring up one of my favorite things about Mass Effect. The Codex. Yeah. The Codex just puts so it, it seems like they put so much thought into this entire universe. 
that they need an encyclopedia, half of which is narrated to you, mm-hmm. explaining yeah, the words awesome. to you. I love that. I'm wondering if that carries over. Yes. It does Good. the whole thing? Yeah, I was hoping it would. They describe the races, uh, alliance races, non-alliance races, different planets and organizations, things like that. So it may or may not be the same text, but the information is there. So if you come into this game without having played Mass Effect, you get plenty of information to sustain yourself off of for the duration of the quest. But if you have played the first game, there are little tidbits in there and a lot of allusion to the first game that you just feel nostalgic and awesome about while you're playing because you remember the stuff. They actually ask you specifically about certain parts of the first game early on in Mass Effect 2 in one story sequence. And that's pretty cool. And it's fun to remember and answer correctly. Was there anything else you guys wanted to bring up about the first game or what you expect from the second game? As long as the story still engages me the same way the first one did, I'll be hooked on it for the next week or two or seven. As long as as it's a good sequel, and from what I've heard, they're going, uh, I guess you could say, the Empire Strikes Back way and doing a really dark and grim sequel to build up to the final game. So as long as they can do that and they've improved some of the some of the shortcomings of the first game, I'll just be I'll be completely happy with it. Now, I, I think some may agree with us here. Because this is the second game of a trilogy, we're going to be disappointed with the ending no matter what. Mm. It's going to ha- it's going to have to lead into the third game. But I hope it leads into the third game in a way where it's still satisfying. Unlike the other space franchise, Halo, that second game, that pissed me off. Yeah, Yeah, but I think that, like, well, the first game kind of ended on a cliffhanger, and it still ended satisfyingly. I mean, it didn't really end, and it led into Mass Effect 2 pretty well. I don't necessarily think that the second one has to end in an unsatisfying way. Well, no, no, but I'm just just afraid it's going to. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I I think that they can pull it off. Obviously, they did it with the first one. But I'm pretty sure Halo One's ending was pretty satisfying, even though there was a cliffhanger too. Yeah, yeah, that's your point. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm just afraid that with the second game, because it lends so much on the third game, I don't want the ending to this game feeling like three could have been part of two. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I felt like Halo Three should have been part of two. It should have just went right in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I liked the way most recently that, like Assassin's Creed Two, our game of the year. And even the single player for Modern Warfare 2, like, they ended definitively that that's how the story was over, but there was obviously room for things to be finished, for things to be left off, but you were still satisfied with what you had dealt with in that game. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the best way. So it's, a, it's a pretty fine line, to be honest, I feel like. One thing I'm wondering is that, um, I mean... From what I've seen of the game, it doesn't seem like you see a lot of Geth. You see the strange biotic species. I'm wondering how much in the second game the Reapers are going to be involved in. If they're going yep. to, or if they're actually going to come back, or if 
they're going to be the main threat or if they're going to just show up at the end and be like, remember, you forgot about us. Like, because the way that the first game ended, Shepard was like, this isn't over. They're still all the way out there waiting for us to bring our guard down. We just stopped one of them and look at how hard that was. I know where they are. Shut up. Shut your mouth. (laughs) Oh, my God. Shut your mouth. That's the one thing I'm most excited about because that was the coolest story turn ever. Yes. First, you're like, i got to stop the Rogue Spectre. Now it's, oh, my God, if I don't stop him, we are all going to die. So From... the, the idea of the Reapers was amazing. It was beautiful. It was awesome. And and this is a weird theory that I came up with, and I'm probably wrong. But just by the way of the trailers and the way that he looks and the way that he presents himself and the power that he has, I think the elusive man dun, has dun, dun. something to do. <laughs> with the Reapers. Either he is one, or he's in cahoots, or something. I think Mr. Martin Sheen um, is a lot more bad or, or evil, I guess you would say. Well, the reason I say is because, I, again, this goes back to me reading the novel, but, but Sov- uh, Saren, at the end of the novel, just finds Sovereign in space, just floating around, doing nothing. You can't <laughs> tell me that nobody else found him. Now, I know the story is he lies dormant until he sends the signal to the keepers and all that. But you can't tell me that nobody else was like, what the hell is that? It's a fucking space tick. Maybe. maybe (laughs) (laughs) You think, you think that maybe somebody like guided Saren to him or somebody guided him to Saren? Well, I don't know about, yeah, but but, I mean, cause in the, in the, in the novel, it doesn't really, or even in the game, it doesn't really talk about how, how Saren found out about it. True. God, I want to read his novels. Yeah, I don't know. It's a lot to think about, and I'm very, very excited to play it. Yes. Um, I know that. I can't wait. And it's, and now that you say that you know where the Reapers are already, that makes it even more enticing. <laughs> yes. Because I was so afraid that they were going to forget about this, the Reapers in this, in this game. Well, I think all of our questions will pretty much be answered beginning Tuesday. But until then... I'm going to leave you with just a little bit of my brief synopsis of the first 23-odd hours of Mass Effect 2. So, Mass Effect 2 is as much a shooter now as it is an RPG, and I think that that's very important because the two halves of the game, gameplay-wise, have been given as much thought and prominence throughout, which was a big concern. So I'll start with the combat. This time around, combat is incredibly smooth, if nothing else. Compared to the first game, you feel like you're playing a shooter, and yes, the shooting mechanics can stand alone as just a regular third-person shooter. They're that good that you actually enjoy doing that part of the game, or at least I did. You issue commands to the party, and it's very simple, and it's very effective, um, and it gives you pretty much full control over all three characters at the same time, which effectively triples your own capacity in battle. So you have this rare feeling that you don't find in a lot of games of being part of a team, Operating in synergy, you know, to complete 
your goals and to defeat the enemy, yet you're still singled out as an individual, as Shepard, because of the role-playing segments and the conversation and everything. And I think that's a really powerful way of presenting combat for the player because it's just that much more engrossing and it makes you care about not just yourself, not just your characters as characters, but your characters as teammates. Because in the field in Mass Effect 1, they, to me at least, seemed less important than focusing on myself. And this time, it's not that way at all. This sounds extremely interesting, the whole using all three at the same time. Yes. Yeah, that's like a whole, that's like two more layers of strategy and RPGing that yeah. like wasn't in the first one. Right. And I mean, you, you can kind of control like their powers, so to speak, and like what weapon they use, but it was all just like through menus. You couldn't actually play them. This time around, you can control all their powers in real time, interwoven with the general shooting mechanics, which have been improved. Now you have regular reloading, no overheating, you have ammo that you pick up, and it feels more like a, almost like a Gears of War-ish third-person shooter setting. But you can also hold the R bumper and bring up the selection wheel and aim your reticle at any enemy on the screen and select powers to be cast or projected or whatever at those enemies with all three characters at once, and the moment you release the bumper, each of the three characters does what you've commanded in the pause section. And it helps battles become much more tactical and very diverse in the way that you approach them, especially considering all of the different character builds, because you have your six characters, one focused on combat, uh, on, on weapons combat, one focused on magic or biotics, one focused on tech, and then three that are combinations of those three. And each one has their unique powers that give them a tactical edge that none of the others can have. Like, for example, the engineer has a droid that can go out and attack enemies. The vanguard has a force power that projects him or her across the battlefield like a human cannonball at his enemies, at which point he can unleash his shotgun blasting because that's the weapon that he specializes in. The infiltrator can go stealth and be unseen by all enemies and carries a sniper rifle. So you play that way. You play at long range or hidden from your enemies. So it seems they've taken the class structure that you might find in other maybe squad-based shooter games or just other RPGs that diversify their characters that way. It's really a different experience based on whichever character you choose. And you don't have as many options when it comes to leveling up. There are a few powers that you have, and you build those up. You don't build stats, so it's much more streamlined for people who are not seeking to sit in menus. And there's no there's no big inventory to mess around with. There are a few guns, 
but in general, the gameplay experience is far less broken by playing around in your inventory, and generally, the things that have been taken out are things that are not pivotal to the overall experience. One thing about the weapons, though, is that I feel it's a little bland. Um, you use a few guns for most of the game, and I guess if you're really into getting new weapons, that can be a bit of a downer. But um, they can be upgraded as well, but the only way to do that is through exploration of the various star clusters, galaxies, and whatever. Um, you have to mine for minerals, and it's a process that can be totally annoying if you're not into that, or really addictive if you're the type of person who can't stop collecting things, which is something, that I, this is something that I've been doing. I've gotten really into it, and it's both compelling and frustrating because the only way to upgrade your weapons and armor and cert powers, like the damage of your powers, things like the duration of your biotics and other little upgrades to the ship is by doing all of this exploration. Um, for me personally, it just came as a matter of course because I was trying to explore anyway because just the sense of exploration in Mass Effect is greatly improved over the first one. You can go to all of the star clusters in the galaxy via mass relays, and then from each solar system, you can travel to other solar systems within each star cluster, and you orbit planets, and mostly you just do this mining that I was talking about, or read a little bit about the planet, which by itself, for someone at least who's into science and astronomy, is very interesting. And it reminds me a lot of Assassin's Creed 2 in the regard that Assassin's Creed 2 took history and wove it into the fiction of Assassin's Creed 2. This takes science and real terminology and, and real real premises that are valid in the universe, at least so far as how stars work, distances from stars to create planets that are either habitable or not, um, the, the atmospheric conditions on various planets based on whatever elements, and, and a bunch of things like that, that to read is super interesting, even if you can't go down on those planets and wander around. Um, but then, some of those planets, while exploring, you can go down onto, and that's very cool. Because all of a sudden, you'll find an anomaly, and it's super exciting, because you may have gone to a dozen planets before this, just searching, mining for iridium, platinum, whatever. But then all of a sudden, you you hear something on the planet, a radio signal, and you investigate it, and you actually go down onto the planet, and you perform a mission, and it's not like Mass Effect 1. You're not in a vast, empty, boring, annoying Mako mission. You are on foot 
in a unique world with a minor objective, maybe some combat. You may or may not encounter other characters. You may bring back data. You may restore a shield, etc. There are a, a variety of different things to do on these planets. But in any case, it's interesting to see the planets and you get a reward, you get money, you get experience points. And these don't actually require probing like the minerals do. It just requires going to the planet and once you are in orbit, now you know that there's something there and you can explore further. And I think what works really well for Mass Effect 2 is this creative freedom that the whole science fiction outer space setting has given the developers because really nothing's out of the realm of possibility regarding setting at least because all it takes on their end or all it has taken on their end was just creating a new planet that has entirely new rules new ways of engaging the player so you might go to a highly technologically advanced metropolis on earth-like planet and then the next planet that you explore may be filled with a craggy mountainside and chlorine gas where you have to wear a mask and visibility is horrible and there's whatever. I'm not going to continue um, <laughs> because there, there's cool stuff there that was surprising. And there are things in between too. There's one planet where the star is so hot that you can't stand in the direct light or else your shields will be depleted slowly. So you have to keep your party in the shadows cast by buildings and other debris and rocks and things like that as you're traveling towards your final goal on that planet. And all of that is just really exciting and interesting when you put yourself into this space traveler and space explorer position. It adds to that aspect of the game incredibly. And that's one big thing that I enjoyed a lot. Um, Probably the most exciting thing about what I'm hoping Mass Effect 2 to be is like that planet exploration that you kind of hinted at there. Because that was kind of one of my biggest complaints. The first one is that that didn't really pan out. From what you've said, it sounds promising. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it is. I mean, it's it's much better. And there's no Mako. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> awesome. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mentioned the missions, and those were just the side missions. They're They're short and not very impactful on your overall progression. But all of the missions, all of the tasks, I guess I would call them, because they're they're listed as missions in your journal and they're they're referred to as missions, but everything is woven into the story, everything's well integrated, so nothing feels like a game about it. Well, obviously it feels like a game because you're playing a game, but it doesn't feel gamey. Like you don't do things repeatedly. The objectives of all these missions are different, and they're different because of the story. They're not different because the developers have sought out a particular gameplay mechanic that they wanted to implement and then built something around this idea. They've 
created a story and woven what you had to do into that story. And I mean, of course, there's the obligatory combat throughout most of it, but sometimes there isn't. But I think the way the missions are presented always keep you experiencing something new, which is a big complaint about many games nowadays, I guess, that you do a lot of the same things. I mean, that's always been an issue with video games. The conversations, obviously this is one of the Bioware conversation games. I always call them that because the game is based so heavily around conversations. And it's it's almost not so much a role-playing game in the traditional sense because you don't do a lot of that inventory management. You don't do a lot of assigning you know, one power point and one dexterity point to your characters. You play a role by being a character, by embodying a personality. And I think that that is really more of a role-playing game. It's like you're a character in an interactive story. I think that's what one of you guys was saying earlier, was about it playing out like a movie because you're just flowing through all of these scenes, all of these conversations as this character. And it ends up being more like an interactive movie, an interactive story, than selection from menus. And the dialogue on the surface doesn't seem to be altered. You have your dialogue wheel, and on the right side, you have your Paragon Neutral and Renegade choices that funnel you towards the end of the conversation. But they do give you different responses from Shepard this time around remarkably more often, uh, at least in my estimation, because I spent a lot of time replaying conversations in the first game and felt that it did funnel you down to the same responses. And then on the left side of your dialogue wheel, you have your investigatory questions and your highly paragon and renegade options that change the course of the conversation drastically. And then there are other paragon renegade actions that you can do at specific moments. And this might be Shepard punching someone or putting a gun to their head or or stopping someone from doing something if it's a Paragon action. And those add something to it as well. And every time you go through a conversation, just about every time, we were talking about this on the Morality podcast, you get a little bit of Paragon or Renegade points added. So you feel like everything that you do is important. Uh, Everything that you say, every word matters. And... That's a great way to play a game like this. I think if you're going to have conversations, then they might as well mean something. Really, those are the biggest parts to me. The story um, is good. (laughs) I don't want to say anything really about the story. But the story is definitely very interesting, very engaging from the moment you begin. From the opening scene, which I don't know if anyone doesn't want to hear about so I'll just leave it at the opening scene (laughs) is done well it sets the stage and it brings you into the story in a clever way especially considering the way that you 
can import your Mass Effect 1 character, it allows you to have freedom to customize your character from the start, even though it's the same character you brought in. And I think that was done very well and sensibly. But overall, you will be playing the game for long hours and not stopping, if you're anything like me. Last night I had to stop, force myself to go to bed (laughs) in order to stop playing the game because it was just the one more round syndrome. Now it's one more planet. So... (laughs) Uh, That was in-depth. I think I need a cigarette. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So it's definitely something that will captivate you and will be fun to play as well as fun to watch. Um, I think that's one of the most important things about it. Um, I, I think I'm going to stop there without yeah, going... I don't, I don't know if I can take it anymore. I might pass out. <laughs> oh, man. Pass out from the excitement. Now, I, mean, I feel like I've painted a picture of perfection, but, I mean, it's not the most perfect thing that it may have sounded like. Um, are you thinking? Are, are you are you thinking ten here? Um, mm, no, 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 okay. no. I don't think so. Oh, I have a technical question for you. Good. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> I know that there's like a there's like a weird disc swap thing, with like the two discs in there. Um, if you can you install both the discs to your hard drive and just kind of do away with the disc swapping altogether? Do you know? That I don't know. I know how the disk swapping works. I know that you have disk one for the beginning portion of the game, and you switch disks relatively early for a two-disc game so that most of the content is housed on disk two because the developers didn't want people to have to go to one system, do everything there, and then when they fly to another one, have to put disk one back in somewhere in the middle of the game. Because if you think about it, how do you put an open universe game on two discs when you don't know where people are going to be at any given time? So That's really, yeah, I didn't think about that. That makes a lot of sense. What they did was they put much of the middle portion of the game, which is a lot of the free-roaming exploration of the galaxy on the second disc, and then towards the end of the game, you switch back to disc one for the end game parts. Um, As for installing, you can install them both on your hard drive if you have the space. I just don't know how this swap would work. It's a good question. And Jack Wall's music is phenomenal. And what a great guy in person, let me tell you. What a great guy in person. Very humble. Um, and he literally said to me, if you, you like the first one, wait till you see what I did with the second one. And I looked at him and I was like, dude, don't tell me that. It's like it's like three months away. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, this is noticeably one of the best soundtracks I've ever heard in a video game. Ever. Really? Ever. Uh, now, can I ask you a question? Now, I haven't bought the soundtrack yet, so maybe the other whoever did buy it can answer this too. Um, from what it sounded like in the Amazon previews, it sounds like it, sh- it goes away from the Blade Runner sound and starts to adapt a full orchestra. Is that true? Um, or is there still like the Blade Runner influence? I think I think what it tries to do, what Jack Wall tried to do, was create a more orchestral sound 
while still maintaining the outer space theme in the music. And you can really feel the spacey uh, traveler theme in a lot of the music. And I think that's that's kind of what you mean by the Blade Runner feels like that, that synthy stuff. Yeah. It, it feels very spacey. Cool. That's what I like to hear. That's what I liked about the first one. Yeah. It felt appropriate yet spacey. Yeah, and it's it's all intermixed. You'll have those orchestral compositions right side by side with a more Blade Runnery, if we can use that as an adjective. Yes. And so at this point, I've made it through about 22 to 23 hours, and what I'm considering, because right now it's Sunday, obviously, um, well, at least obviously to us, not to the listeners, at this point I'm considering 9.5 as my score for Mass Effect 2. Cool. Good. Oh, man, can't wait. Wow. Anyway, that would be that. Woo. Thanks, guys. That was Ooh. that was fun and hilarious, which yeah, everyone will, everyone will find out about on No Bounds. <laughs> oh yeah. All right, and that's it. Thanks a lot, guys. That's Gamer Node versus Node Podcast, Episode Twelve, Krogan Balls. Bye. <laughs>